Good evening, and thanks for listening to this episode of GasCast. I am your host, Max Alderson, and as always, I am joined by Tom Metcalf. Good evening, Tom. Hey up. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good to hear. Um, this week, we're joined by Top Gas Head and Charity Fundraiser, Ash Belston. Hi, Ash. Hello, Max. Tom, how are you doing? Good, good. good. Yeah, good, good. all good. Um, Ash is going to talk to us about the Martin Belston Memorial Match, which is a fans versus legend match which takes place later this month. We're going to talk about that in a bit more detail later on in this episode. Um, But first, let's get started with some news that came out of Rovers last week. Bristol Live reported that a UK-based consortium is set to purchase land at the fruit market near Temple Meads with the intention to build a new stadium for Rovers, along with potential other developments. This would include the takeover of Bristol Rovers Football Club and the sale of the Memorial Stadium for housing developments. This has the potential to be fantastic news for the club, at least in my opinion. Um, let's get your guys' opinions on this one then. Let's start with you, Tom. Uh, the fruit market, what do we think? Um, I'd love it. It's much closer to my house than the Mem. Um, transport links around there are pretty good. You've got Bath Road, um, Cockshaw Brewery. Shout out to them, are just over the road. I'm impressed. It's very close to Temple Meads as well, which makes it easy for people coming outside the city. Not many people have to drive, which is always a plus. It kind of ticks all the boxes for me. Um, It is dangerously close to South Bristol. I mean, dangerously. And I think there probably would be a few flare-ups in Totterdown. Yeah, you reckon? I I almost certainly think there will. But I'd I'd absolutely love it if it it came off. But uh, will it come off? I'm highly sceptical. Yeah, well, I think I think a bit of scepticism is is healthy for for any gas head out there because we've had so many false dawns. It's hard for anyone to really get their hopes up. Um, Ash, do you think this is something that Rovers should be hopeful about? Um, I think so. Yeah, I think if we get taken over, I'd, I'd like to think that we could be a bit more realistic this time. I think every time, last time, everyone got a bit carried away. Maybe rather than listening to what was being said, that's just my opinion. Rather than listening to the evolution, revolution business, everyone just thought we were going to go out and spend all this money which I don't necessarily think was promised to us. Don't get me wrong, I think the the Alcadis probably would have liked things to go a little bit differently to how it has done. But I'd like to think if we get taken over this time that everyone would be a bit more balanced and realistic and see let's see how this goes. There's Rather, absolutely no chance of that. Yeah, of course, <laughs> it's, not, of course it's not, but I would do like you, to think that... What, what do you make of um, while kind of announcing it on Radio Bristol before the Blackpool I've, game? I'll be completely honest with you. I think that anybody who believes that he has gone rogue and announced something without anyone else who's involved in it knowing has never met the guy because he's he's very intelligent and there is no way he would jeopardize anything for this football club by doing that in my opinion no that's fair i I think he's always had the interests of the club at heart and i I seriously doubt that he would go out and uh, like you say ash uh, deliberately sabotage or undermine efforts to improve the club because um, things may or may not have gone as smoothly or as well as he'd liked, but I don't think he'd ever jeopardise the future of the club if something good was was in the pipeline. So um, I think it was I think it was a calculated move, or maybe not a calculated move, but just a, a good time to announce something that was potentially in the works. Um, so along with this, there's the potential for new owners um, who are looking to take over. It's a UK-based consortium, so say, according to the Bristol Post. Um, Mets, are they football people, do you reckon, or more business opportunists? 
Well, I mean, we've got scant detail on them. I know the Post uh, broke the story, but they didn't really give much away, just that they had experience with development. So it's, it's difficult to tell. And I kind of, I'm almost under the, the under the thought of um, better the devil you know kind of thing. The Arcades are still funding the club to, what, 65 grand a week losses at the moment and not really moaning too much about it. So, you know, they are funding the club, whereas will this new consortium... The thing is with a new consortium is they can be whatever you want them to be. They can be the people who are going to come in and spend loads of money, like you said, Ash, or they can be, you know, horrible. It. I feel like as long as there's always a consortium in the background that are always going to do amazingly, the current owners are always going to get shit. I, I don't know. I, I'm, again, highly skeptical and a, a little bit worried. If they are just trying to get the club out of the mem for the mem ground and you know if they can make a bit of money off the stadium which they almost certainly will then it's kind of a win-win for everyone and it might turn out all right but they might then just completely lose interest and be like right now we need to get rid of the club and then or not even fund kind of signings and stuff like that it's a it's a difficult one without knowing anything about them or their intent it's kind of we're just kind of guessing yeah and i guess that's that's the major gray area in all of this um but you'd have to hope, um, Ash, that this is um, something like, like like Tom said, that's a win-win for everybody. Um, because it's almost like we're in a situation now as a football club that we are slowly dying death by a thousand cuts. And there's going to come a time where it'll be too late to make that jump and nobody's going to want to invest in us because we'll have too much debt or we'll have not enough assets and it's almost like these next five years are crucial um, and do you think we need to roll the dice and take a gamble like this and hope that it works out? I think so yeah and I think we, we can't stay where we are um, I don't think the O'Callaghan can continue to cover £65,000 a week losses um, because that's absolutely ridiculous Yeah, um, there's not many people that can afford to fund that outside of the big league I'd imagine um, I think we do need to roll the dice, and as I said, I think there was was there a mention that they've got some football people involved with them as well by by Ali Durden, was it potentially potentially? So the the, the ideal situation for me personally at this moment in time is that this these people come in and buy us, and that potentially Wild might stay around potentially who knows, and that Tom Gorin stays around and that Martin Starr stay around because I think they're three people that know football quite well, and that by now they know the club quite well. Um, the bad situation for me is if. Let's say somebody like Steve Hamer gets the role because I don't rate him at all, yeah. personally, personally. I don't think um, any of us on the podcast do particularly either. No, um, that or or somebody of that ilk who does it who doesn't really relate with the fans and and then it causes a bit of a divide. So for me, it's one of those we we kind of have to roll the dice, so don't we? Because we, as we've all said, we can't stay where we are. We can't no. continue continue in the, the way that we are. No, I agree with Max. It is death by a thousand yeah. cuts at this point. Um, Go on. We're, we're at the max of the S SCMP, aren't we? I think which is yeah. quite and. I imagine that's less this year than it was last year because gates have been down. Um, I think Tom Gorringe does a wonderful job getting in as much income as he can, but there's only so much you can roll a turd in glitter, isn't there? Let's be honest. And you know we're looking a bit like Glastonbury at the moment, aren't we? With tents and big screens everywhere, and he's done a great job. But I'd like to see what he can do with a 21, 25,000 seat stadium because I think he's I think he's one of the best signings we've made in recent years. I agree with you massively. Um, plus, I think having him involved in the kind of stadium design because he can say right yeah. we want bars here we want this here and maximize that kind of because yeah. as much as we all hate to admit it we are customers and you want to maximize your revenue so of course you do it's all those things yeah it's, it's massively important to me that they have people involved who understand us as fans and understand our football club in my opinion yeah rather yeah. than just some 
you know, somebody comes in who knows football and, and but doesn't know us because we're a very funny fan base, aren't we? Let's be honest. Yeah, we're, um, a, we're an odd bunch. And yeah. that's exactly what I mean. It's like better the devil you know sometimes. Yeah. The Alcardis know us. The people at the football club know us. It's if a new consortium comes in, clears all that ink, and you're kind of starting from scratch again, and you're like, yeah, uh, yeah maybe it's a not. massive risk. But it could, then. but it could go the other way. Couldn't it? Exactly. And it could be a meet. So we, at the moment, we don't know, do we? No, we don't know. It's 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 like you said both say. It's a roll of the dice, but it's a roll of the dice that's almost become a necessity if this club is to grow at all. Because as it stays at the minute, we are getting a smaller and smaller club by the day because our you know our gates are going down revenues going down we're being overtaken by clubs who are being invested in and do have a more sustainable infrastructure in place that it's only natural before our natural place in the in the football league pyramid goes down and down so it is almost like we need to now is the moment and good or bad i don't think we can afford not to roll that dice and it's it's sad that it is that way but that is that is the reality of it, and and let's be honest, there are football clubs in far worse states than we are in. Yeah. I've got a question for you, Max. Okay. Actually, for both of you, given if it was a choice between the fruit market and like Yui, kind of out of town, what would you prefer? It would depend on how much revenue we'd be getting from Yui, how much of the percentage of the tickets and the other infrastructure elements we'd have. Um, if we were fully sustainable at Yui, um, then I would I would. Because I know that deal, and I know that we would have a hundred percent of the the freehold. Um, it would be ours, and it would be um, a sustainable income where we are bringing in more than we're spending. Then I I would be inclined to go for that without knowing the full details of the plan at the fruit market. But if the fruit market is a, also in in the same nature a sustainable ground, then then of course that because there's far more opportunities for other um, areas of investment such as hotels. Um, business parks and things like that which if if we own the land we could bring that into the football club rather than on, on the edge of field. So for you it's more a financial decision you don't really have a fan, like a preference as you either a fruit market or you you just want from, from the future of the club's point of view I would say whichever brings in more money is and has a good catchment area is better for the club and I think the catchment area between the city centre and Filton for uh, Yui is is pretty even because with Yui you've also got the student factor, you've got a lot of fans coming in who would get from the university, but also Filton's a massive massive Rovers area, so it's you know there's a lot of potential for fans there. But the city centre, of course, it's is divided because of um, Rovers and City, and it's, it's it's difficult. I think I think it would be we get about the same crowds in both. Um, it's obviously impossible for me to say that, but uh, that's just what I would assume is that they'd be pretty close. So I would be inclined to say whichever brings in the most income and has the most potential for growth would be the best direction to go in. What about you, Ash? Um, I'm going to go the complete other way. I'm buying up for the fruit market. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I've, I've not said either way. I've just um, said whichever's, whichever's yeah, a better I, financial. Income. Without knowing the financial things, if I'm going purely on location, um, I'm going to say fruit market. You see it when you come in on the train. is one of the first things you see in Bristol. Um, we've already got most of the fan base up around the UE area. I want to see us right down in the mix around what is predominantly red areas. And I want to see us catch some fans from them. I don't think we're going to get any new fans from other than students, but then when they finish a uni course, do they then leave Bristol? How often do you get them come back? I'm sure you will probably pick up a, a small amount that will travel every week. We all know gas heads that travel from London, from um, Ledbury, Ledbury Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, we all know people that travel, but it's probably few and far between the amount of people that have watched Rovers when they're in uni. Whereas I think if you're in that city centre environment, 
you have got so much potential to nick fans. Yeah. I don't really think that many City fans are going to jump ship to Rovers just because we build a stadium. No, I think there's quite a lot of floaters in Bristol. What what I mean is is the floaters that that their parents don't like football when they're... I'm talking about in 20 years' time. I'm not talking about of now. Course. Yeah, okay. I'm talking about the long-term future of the football. Well, you club. even look at it when we go to Wembley and we get like yeah. well, 40,000 or whatever, and you think, well, they're not there every week. They're the no, no, exactly. city the same. You know, you get yeah. those people. Who, like, I've taken shitheads to Wembley before. Yeah. Oh, well, poor opinion there. Yeah, <laughs> but I am trying to come. You know, yeah. trying to show them the light. But you know what I mean. Those people yeah. who are, yeah. you know, they might be South Bristol, where they might not be massively city. They might go down yeah. to Rovers. I suppose I'm a bit biased because I was never a massive fan of the UE no, from neither. the start. Okay, um, yeah. I didn't like the location. I didn't like the design of the stadium. No. Um, it For me, it just didn't tick any boxes. It's like going to MK, you know, you're on a trading estate. Yeah. Shit. Sure, yeah. Can't stand it. I'd rather have somewhere in the... Like, I like the Mem. I was always more for the Mem redevelopment, like somewhere like where you got a Gloucester Road or something similar, and then you got like a... It's all in the houses, like um, the football, valley. Is, like, for like, me, football it. clubs should always be the heart of the community a little yeah. bit. And in UE, there's not really any sort of community out there. Is is very isolated. And yeah. let's get me wrong. If we'd have got it, I, I obviously wouldn't have moaned, you know, because it's much better than where we are now. But um, if I was given a choice of you can have a stadium here or here, I, I would take the the city centre option every time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm massively a fan of it. So um, I, we're all, I think we're all behind it as fans as an idea. There are a few who maybe have concerns over the lack of pubs nearby, but I'm sure that will grow oh, as loads. There's loads yeah. right I, I think there. people I think people will grow grow to the idea if yeah. it if if it if it um if it grows into fruition. I think we're in for a crucial few you've weeks. Done, yeah, you've done you pretty well. Purpose, you've done you? really well to get that in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay now. There's definitely no <laughs> there's no pre pod bet going on that I have to slip that word in somewhere. That was it's fantastic. All, it was all ad libbed, I can assure you. Um, but yeah, a few short, a few. See, I've messed up now. A crucial few weeks for the gas um, off the pitch. I think um, if rumours are to be believed, that it is indeed uh, this next month that is crucial in the talks between the fruit market and this so say consortium. Um, let's have some fingers crossed for some news before I assume before Christmas um, on that one. Let's move on to on the pitch. Um, we were going to talk about Blackpool, but I think after last night's performance against Cheltenham, we're going to sort of split the attention of um, recent matches between Wickham and the Cheltenham game rather than the Blackpool game, which I think Harley and Nino talked in depth about on last week's Q&A episode. Um, so, yeah, Wickham at home. Uh, Ash, let's start with you. It was an uninspiring team selection, which you could pretty much predict the full-time result as soon as you saw that starting 11 at 2 o'clock. Do you think we set up for the wet and windy conditions, or do you just think that that, that, that was the players he had available to him through injury and other other factors? I think it's a bit of both, maybe. It wasn't in very... As soon as I seen the team, I thought we're not going to be creating much today. Um, and I was feeling very, very, very dying about it, to be honest with you. But um, after a nice win last night, obviously I'm, I'm a bit more picked up today. But it was tough. Wickham are a physical team, aren't they? And I think if... You know, I'd like to have seen some more exciting football, but then if he'd have played Kyle Bennett and Rodman from the start and we'd have gone 4-4-2, would we have lost? It's difficult it's, to say, isn't it? But the, you'd, you'd like to think first home game of the season. Do you give? Do you, do you go attacking? That's what the fans are there to see. You want to inspire them for the season ahead and not show that it's just more of the same of last season where we had to grind out results yeah. because it's a new campaign. Do you yeah, think he should have been more ambitious? I think he probably... It's one of those... I've, I think his substitutions are strange for me. If you're going to set out to be difficult, it's out to be difficult, but I'd like to see him at least go for it at some point because Wickham weren't offering much, were they? Let's be honest. Um, 
we could have nicked it ourselves, couldn't we? They have one off the line. But I, I would have liked to have seen him him go more attacking, probably in the, in the second half especially. But I can understand why he set up the way he did. Um, but I can, I'm can i a bit on the fence of it because I can also see why people are thinking it was like Coughlin ball, i seen somebody say yesterday which was um I like that, which yeah. made me yeah which made me laugh it's difficult isn't it it's he's very limited with what he's got available to him in the middle of the park i don't think he necessarily thinks some of our more creative players give him that much value for money should we say for what for what they've reportedly earned to what they give us back um and maybe is a little bit of him trying to, to shove some of them out the door I don't, i'm just speculating you know, sort of, you're not going to be getting minutes so that they can get on and he can get any who he wants. I mean, he spoke quite openly, didn't he, about how he wants to play expansive football. And sadly, Wickham at home was not expansive football, was it? No, that's what annoyed me, really. Well, not annoyed, well, it did annoy me, actually, yeah. Is he talked about, you know, last season's football was last season's football, that was survival. And now we can play a bit more expansive football. Mm-hmm. And then we lined up pretty much exactly how we would yeah. last season. I was like, I was looking at it, and obviously it's Wickham, obviously it's the conditions, but. I was still a bit disappointed. And like you said, I think he could have gone for it sooner. I think he brought JCH on with about 20 minutes to go. Yeah. Cole Bennett on with four minutes to go. Yeah, and I was like, uh, no, like do that earlier. And also you got Rodman on the bench, change shape, go for it. If you lose, go in for it. Everyone understand. Everyone's going to be pissed off, obviously, because everyone's going to overreact. But if you lose one nil when you're trying to win the game, like Daryl like, used to, you know, it tempers it a bit. Whereas I think a lot of people I saw a, f- a few D- uh, GC shouts mm. after the Wickham game just because they were like right it was crap against Blackpool it was crap against Wickham we don't want to watch this all season yeah. another season of struggle and I can I can kind of sympathise really yeah I mean I definitely I definitely don't think we were crap against Blackpool I thought we started very really? much the second half we were when we were when we were losing we were crap but when it was nil nil the first 25 minutes we were more than a match for them and we were trying we were playing some new stuff it looked good the shape was good you know we hit the bar we created as many chances as they did and then there was the penalty decision which they scored and then I, I do question the, the character of some of the players because we massively got worse after conceding see I don't think we were amazing before I would we say conceded amazing, but, but we were better we were okay we were expansive we were playing the style of football which we were playing know, in pre-season expansive we seemed to be lobbing it up to Victor up front and hoping he holds on to it it was we had a lot of the keeper playing the diagonal across to Rodman didn't we trying to win it the, just didn't work it was, it was trying to do a Mildenhall and um, Monkhouse Monkhouse and it just <laughs> didn't work it yeah. just kept going over his head yeah I think we definitely tried to do something a bit different though and it did work in patches and you were definitely seeing a different brand of football um, with more width at least. It did work in patches, I'll agree with you. Um, And I think it was very different to the Wickham game which was very much, this is what we know how to do, this is what we're comfortable with, we're going to grind out a result and like you both said, I was very disappointed that with 20 minutes, 25 minutes to go he didn't change shape and go for it because as Daryl has always said, that mathematically generally gets you more points than if you just take the point. If you roll the dice and try and get three and you only get them the three points 50% of the time, on average that's 1.5 points compared to the one point you're getting for a draw. So especially at home, first game of the season against a side that is probably one of the favourites for relegation, I think a lot of fans were very frustrated um, with the outcome, which was very predictable and the atmosphere was very flat as a result. I'd also say I don't think it really helped that we were playing Wickham and they played a lot of hoof ball themselves and a lot of head tennis. It it really didn't make for a good game. And I think you can almost, like I always find with Rovers, we always raise our game against the really good teams who do the slick passing and we try to match them. And then we'll also do it like with the Wickhams. 
if they start playing head tennis, we'll do it as well. And I just think, oh, just get it down, which I was, I was quite impressed with the Wickham game with um, Ed Upson. He seemed the only one in midfield that wanted to bring it down and try and play. Yeah. Um, the others, just especially a go-go, I find, just, was just lumping it. And it really, really annoyed me. Frustrating. Yeah, that sort of brings me on to my next point, which is the diamond midfield, which we've been playing at home last season and again this season. Um Diamond midfield is something that was sort of became fashionable last season through Luton Town, who obviously won the league at a canter with their diamond midfield, which is um, Pelly Ruddock at the base with Luke Berry and Andrew Shinney either side, and then Elliot Lee at the at the tip of the diamond with then very attacking fullbacks in James Justin and Jack Stacey. I think this is something that Coughlin's very much tried to emulate. Um, he likes the idea of these very quick fullbacks providing the width and then three narrow three narrow forwards and then a diamond midfield um but for me i'm I'm questioning whether it works with the, the players we've got in midfield because they're not the most elegant and and the amount of times it took two or three touches to get the ball under control for some of them it needs to be first time passing um ash what do you think of the diamond midfield do you, do you just think that we've got too many uh, cdms rather than natural box-to-box central midfielders and elegant one-touch technical players that this midfield diamond needs to work uh, one thing I really didn't understand from our diamond is why you played Ollie Clark at the tip of it because Ollie Clark's not a number a number ten as you say um, and Sirkin was sort of sat with a go go in the middle and an ups and right at the back and I didn't rate it ups and whatsoever to be honest with you I think he's a complete crab <laughs> but if we're going to play a diamond and we're going to play it I might have had Sirkin at the tip of the diamond and then Ollie and Ed ups and then a go go at the back protecting the. Defense. It just seemed like if it was gonna if it's gonna work with those players, you've got to play them in the right position. For me, I, I don't think we've got the best midfield anyway. I think we could, we've got too many similar type of players, as you said. Um, but if you're gonna play them in positions that they're not, it's a bit like square pegs and round holes. Really, I mean, I love Ollie Clark. I think he's a great player, and I think he's a great captain for the club. But he's certainly not an attacking midfielder, is he? Let's be honest. Well, no, he does, I agree he, with you. He does score a few goals from the edge of the area, but I wouldn't say he does. He plays enough of the killer pass to be that number ten. Um, no, and I think with the midfield diamond, I, I have seen them rotating quite a bit. So they do sort of switch roles. Maybe Circum will push forward sometimes. Other times, Ollie Clark will push forwards. So it is, has got that flexibility. But I, I just question whether the players have the ability, technically wise, to to dictate the play in the way that Luton did so effectively last season. Because I just don't think mm. they're, I think they're they're not as natural ball players as they are ball winners which doesn't really work in the diamond for me Matt's what are your thoughts on that? No I agree with you I, I'm going to disagree with you Ash though I do rate Upson um, I think yeah he's, he's a bit of a ball player on, on the quiet I think he does goes about his work quite quietly and I'd rate him over a go-go because they offer kind of a similar thing defensively but Upson will try and bring it down but I agree with you Max um, similar players a go-go Upson and I'd say Ollie Clark similar players and in a diamond like that you need that number 10, you need them to be really on it because that's your attacking outlet through the middle. And Circum hasn't been that this season. And I'd say most of last season as well. He's been well off form. And secondly, I'd Bennett, as what you were saying earlier, value for money, I'd, I'd put him squarely in that bracket because for for the 90 minutes, he doesn't create enough for me at all. I really, really don't. I'd, I'd rate him as a player, but I think probably League Two is his level. I think he's probably playing at slightly above his level now. But I've got a question for both of you, actually. This is one I've been thinking about since Wickham. Is Ollie Clark was anonymous, like anonymous against Wickham. He couldn't pass to his teammates. He was he was crap. 
Do you think Coughlin's made a mistake by making him captain because you can't really drop your captain? Um, well, the, I was going to say I, I was going to say I, I I disagree because. Excuse me, Ash, you go first. Um, <laughs> I think that I'm going to take this a little bit of a different way. I think that captaincy in England is massively overrated, and Ollie Clark's biggest job as a captain is being the go-between for the players and the manager, um, talking to the press, representing the football club off the pitch is probably the biggest job that I find you have as a captain. Once you cross that white line, I think you lead regardless of whether you have an armband on your arm or not. I doubt Ollie Clark's having a shot from 25 yards and if he puts it in the top bin, looks at his armband and goes, that's because I'm wearing that. And if he puts it 10 yards wide, he looks at his armband and go, that's because I'm wearing that. Um, I think people like Tony Craig will lead regardless. Tom Davis will lead. Mark Little will as well. Um, I think even Abzagogo to an extent will lead as well. So I... I don't think he has made a mistake. Um, I just think that the way we view captaincy is a little bit archaic, should we say. <laughs> well, I, I, fu- I fully agree with Ash. What, what he was saying is that uh, what you were saying about having leaders all over the pitch is so important and it's almost like the captain's role is ceremonial. We said it last time. Um, I, the, I do agree with, who, agree with you with, with what you were saying about him now being undroppable almost, which is a concern because, like you say, dropping your captain is a rarity. They sort of have to play 46 games, um, whether they have to, but generally they do. So he's almost made a rub for his own back there if Ollie's then not informed and he wants to bring in someone else. But for me, Ollie is probably, out of those four midfielders, Ups and Agogo, Ollie Clark and Sirkham, I'd say he's probably, I would, he would be the first on the team sheet out of those four. I agree me, with you as well. Because I think he offers far more than a go-go in terms of his um, attacking threat. I think he's just as physical as a go-go is. I think in terms of Circum, Circum's had a very poor 18 months. Um, and Clark's obviously contributed far more goals and assists. And his general, he, he does have games where he's anonymous, but he also has games where he absolutely bosses it, whereas Circum has just been anonym, anonymous for about 18 months. And then Upson, is, he divides opinion. And I think I think Ollie Clark, he's not a CDM, but as a CM, he, he's our best option. And I think there's far better options out there. Um, but Ollie knows the club. He is a club man. He's been with us since he was a toddler. And he, he very much, uh, in my eyes, is a good choice for captain. And, and as uh, in terms of what we've got as a squad at the minute, he, he needs to start for me because he represent, uh, represents everything we want character-wise in a, in a footballer at our football club. And uh, despite performances, he's, he's, I think he is a good player and um, better than most of us centre mid. So I'm fingers crossed that he can return to the form he had in patches last season and consistently the season before. And now uh, we can start to get some more uh, controlling performances from our midfield. Okay. Yeah. Right. So shall we move on then? Um, I'll just. Uh, I will say I've been I've been quite impressed by all the cog signings. Um, this season, I think the players that I've been unimpressed with are the ones that are already at the club. Yeah, I think our recruitment's been really, really I've, good. Yeah, I think. I don't think I've looked at any of Cog signings and thought you're rubbish. No, I think he's done really well. I think For so as well. Someone who isn't like a big name in League One who yeah. hasn't got a massive amount of experience as a manager, I think he's done really well with his signings. I don't think so we're any weaker in any position that we've lost. You can make a case for Lockyer. I know a lot of people will, but I think Tom Davis looks good. I th- I'd say he's an upgrade. I got to be honest. I've, I'm with you. I'd, I, it's, it's early days. I want to see ten games out of Davies before I start to judge him. I've only seen two, and I really love him. <laughs> I, I rate the keeper as well, Jacob. I know he had a mad a moment of madness up at Blackpool where he decided that he was going to just punch someone in the face. You know, for whatever reason, but I that, think that's just because you know going down Blackpool Pier, you want to yeah. punch someone in the yeah, face, yeah, yeah, really. I, yeah. Um, what do you think? about not going in for Bonham because I I kind of feel like Bonham would have been 
like I've said, I'm a big fan of Bonham. I think he would have been better than Chicola. I think he is better than Chicola. I think we've made a mistake not going for him. Um, I don't think Chicola's any a lot worse. He may be a little bit worse, maybe. Um, but I think Bonham was like standing when he first came, and then and then sort of Peter like to be quite average. Um, I think Chicola will be solid. I don't. I don't think we'll. I don't think we'll necessarily lose any points through the goalkeeper this season. Put it that way. Yeah, I think from my point of view, like I said on the last episode uh, with Kaz, um, it was very much a case of maybe Bonham wanted too much money. Obviously, he went to Gillingham and Gillingham went in for Jakubiak as well. Um, and we said that they have a smaller budget, but maybe they spent a, a larger percentage of their budget on these players than we were it's maybe like prepared value, to be. Like value for money, as we spoke about earlier. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Maybe we got Jakola and Van Stappershoe for the wage that Bonham wanted, and that's two goalkeepers for the same wage I mean, I'm just speculating it's all yeah, about like you're saying value for money uh, I would assume that Mark Little and Josh Hare combined are on about the same as what Partington and James Clark were on combined and I think that's an upgrade on both of them um, so it's all about you're saying bad against James Clark do you want me to come over there and bat you no no I'm <laughs> on about wage mate wage I'm on about in terms of well, I, I think Josh Hare and Mark Little are an upgrade on Partington and James Clark and I reckon they're on about the same wage Cumulatively, cumulatively as those two were on um, so I think it's all about that it's all about replacing what was there with better value for money um, and I think that w- Tommy Widrington's done a great job in identifying the targets that we need and uh, Coughlin's backed him and brought in those players and, and fair play to them because it seems to be good I think like you were saying Ash the problem is, is is in my mind what I would call the big three which are Bennett, Circum, and Nichols those are the three who are probably on probably some of our highest earners and are some of our lowest performers. I'd agree with you yeah, on that as well. That. We're not getting much back out of them, are we? No. no. So until we get rid of those big three, who, if it was up to me, I would ax them before the window shuts, but I think we'll probably be stuck with at least two of them. Um, we're going to struggle to bring players in because I think they're on a lot of money and they don't output as much as they as we, we pay for them. I don't think the budget's necessarily bad. Um, I know it's, it's less than last season. Um, that's quite well publicised because the the income is down so yeah. the budget has to go down but his budget's gone down but he's still stuck with some players that he may not necessarily want eating yeah. up quite a lot of that budget um, if if rumoured wages are true you're looking at like 10k a week on those on those three players if the rumoured wages are true obviously we don't know if they are um, and I feel like you could probably get four or five players that would offer us more yeah, for that money yeah. even three players who could offer more than yeah, those three exactly. players Exactly. Um, which is I think that's the frustrating thing but um, I think we're just going to have to be patient I think this season's very much a case of from my point of view let's stay up again let's be safe let's improve some younger players blood some youngsters um, bring in some younger players who, who are being mentored by some older pros improve the side on last year which can't be that difficult surely and um, and then at the end of next summer maybe get rid of some players who are out of contract who are filling up a lot of that wage budget and really go for it with some intelligent signings through Widgerton Scouting Network so I think that's got to be the aim this season I don't think we can get too ahead, far ahead of ourselves and, and, look, and look, have any ambitions further than that from my point of view um, let's, let's look at the rest of the month that we have to bring in players before the transfer window shuts uh, Mets what do we still need I mean Graham said he wants another striker I think he was in for Joe Nuttall, he missed out on. He was telling, he was saying in the Blackpool pre-match. He's also saying that he went in for a couple of other strikers. Do we need another striker? I would say no. I think between Adebayo and Smith, I think, and obviously JCH, unless Nichols goes out, in, the, in which case we will need one. 
I think we're all right. I think we're crying out, as we've said all through this pod, a number 10. We're crying out for a creative midfielder and definitely a left winger. At least those two, I think we could probably get on till January, getting decent results if we just brought in two players there. We're in for that Rangers lad, which I'd be happy with. You know, young lads. I think, to prove. I think Cogs is pretty much rubbish that one. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know so. if he was doing it tongue in cheek because he was he's bringing <clears> up <throat> the old Protestant and Catholic <laughs> thing, and I was like, <laughs> is he, the stop it. Yeah, is he taking a piss or not? I can tell. <laughs> I um, he's, a, he's a Celtic <clears throat> fan, isn't he? So he was always yeah. suggesting that. Uh, okay, right. Rangers, got you. But I think he might. It may be. He's tongue very in cheek. much keeping his cards close to his chest. Though. Yeah, we need we need a creative number ten. If we're going to play someone at the tip of the diamond, we need someone who's creative. And at the moment, Circum's so out of form, it's not him. I don't think Bennett has ever really been that player for us. So that's exactly where I'd spend every single penny on. Fair enough. I would I would struggle to disagree with that. Um, Ash, the whole Liam Scales scenario has sort of been dragging on for the best part of a month. Do you think that's dead in the water now? Oh, I think now? that's gone now, isn't it? I think, that's, I think, they're, I think from the, the, the sort of feel that I got from Cogs was that their manager had pissed him right off and he decided to just pull the plug on it. Um, I know he spoke about murky waters and that sort of stuff, but um, Cogs doesn't seem to be the sort of bloke who takes any messing from anyone, and I and I genuinely feel like he just got really, really annoyed at them for for that. He got really annoyed with was it Gavin Riley's agent as well? That he got really he got annoyed with as well. Pissed off with he someone got really pissed off with Scottish someone. papers. And I, I genuinely believe that he he's probably looked at it and thought, well, you're a bit of a project anyway, and and he's pulled the plug on it. I think he still want another centre half because I think that Rowling will probably go out on loan. Um, but I don't think he's going to be Liam Scales. I think that that one is pretty much dead in the water now. Yeah, that's disappointing if it is truly dead in the water. As he looked a good prospect, but I'm sure he's just one example of many players who we have been looking at over in Ireland and indeed through Tommy Richardson's scouting network. Um, so maybe it's at least encouraging that we are looking at that kind of player. And I think once we clear out, or drain the swamp or clear out the deadwood, however, however you want to put it, <laughs> Um, get rid of those players who are who are clogging up the wage budget, um, who aren't outputting too much. We can really start to invest in this side and build a good, good young group of players who would develop into a good League One side, maybe a top League One side. We can only that's hope. The dream. I think, yeah, I think we have to be we have to be clever of our recruitment this year, yeah, don't we? I think that's pretty we obvious. have to be. I mean, it's you know, it's it's almost like Moneyball. It's it's, yeah. it's you have to, you know, we can't if we try and compete with the likes of Sunderland and Pompey yeah, yeah, with their yeah. massive budgets. We're just gonna end up getting beat when yeah. having massively overpaid players and being in masses and masses of debt, and it's just not gonna work. So we have to be smart. We have to think differently. If we are to compete, we have to look at every penny we spend and think: Is it? Are we getting as much out of that one pound as we can, or are we wasting this money on this player? Otherwise, let's not invest in them. I think we'll, we'll try and become a club a bit like. Um Crew Alexandra were back a couple of years ago where they had quite a good youth set up and they and they done really well out of that. Um, I don't think that we'll ever be the sort of team that goes unless of course we get taken over by Jordanian billionaires. <laughs> no, I don't think we'll ever be the sort of team that go out and spend massive amounts of money on a player. And I think Cogs has spoke quite a lot about how he he likes to bring through youth. I think that um, obviously we don't know what's going on with the takeover as we said earlier on, but Wyle was obviously previously spoken about the importance of the development squad and I know that he's had quite a lot to do with youth football in Jordan. Um, and I think we'll try to become a football club that that becomes quite, there's a pathway from the the youth set up 
into the into the first team. I think we got a good go between Koji and Lee Mansell as well to help us out with that. Yeah. Um, obviously, we do need to go out and and every now and then do what we done with Jono and you know give somebody some good money to help them along because you can't build a, a whole team of, of youth products, obviously. But I think that we will probably try to become a team that bloods the little nuggets as Cogs calls them. Um, like Luca Tomlinson, for example. Yeah. I think that they'll try and blood him this season and get him into playing regular men's football. Yeah, I think that's what we all want to see as fans, as young young youth prospects coming through through the ranks. I mean, we've had success with that in the past. Ellis Harrison, Tom Lockyer, Ollie Clark, Chris Lines, uh, even Ryan Broom's having a good a good season at yeah. Cheltenham. Alfie and Kilgore. Alfie Kilgore, Alfie yeah. Kilgore, let's, yeah. Well, I think we'll talk Very about him a bit more um, in a little bit. Um, yeah, let's let's move on. Um, last week we launched our Patreon campaign, and quite frankly, we were overwhelmed with the response that we got from all of our listeners who pledged to support us financially as a podcast. We uh, we honestly can't thank you guys enough. Um, your money helps us become more sustainable and helps us with the ongoing personal costs along with helping us to improve our equipment and the quality of the podcasts. If you'd like to support us, our Patreon is patreon.com forward slash gascast. You can pledge $3 or $7. Don't ask me why it's in dollars. I'm not entirely sure. American take um, It's an American, <laughs> American take Confirmed. Um, yeah, either we'll get you into our exclusive Facebook group where you can suggest topics for our next episode, chat with other gas heads, and if you talk enough sense, we may even drag you onto an episode with us. Um, so yeah, special shout out to Andy Baxter, Andy Holmes, Kyle Harris, Chris Power, Paul Carmody, Daniel Ball, Simon Gray, Ben Martell, Finn Milhoy, Phil Church, Kaz May, James Tonizo, Katie Pullen and Lance Cook. We can't thank you guys enough for your support. Heroes. Yeah, absolute heroes, every one of you. Thank you so much. And we hope we can live up to your expectations as patrons. Um, let's move on to, to you, Ash. Um, the Martin Belston memorial game yeah um 1st of september yeah mangersfield football club um why don't you tell us a bit about it how it came about and for those who don't know what they can expect so we we started this in what are we now so it's 2017 the first year we started it My, my granddad passed away in 2017 um we had a terrible couple of years i think i've been quite well documented with that that we we weren't. He wasn't necessarily in the best of homes for for a very long time, um, which was heartbreaking for us to see. But then we got him into a, a new place called Deerhurst. Um, I'm gonna have to give a massive, massive shout out to Leslie Hobbs, the care home manager there, because she she met him where he was um, and pretty much fast tracked him into where to where he to Deerhurst. Um, he was there for around five months, um, but it was nice for us because it was almost like having like run the back a little bit. He had dementia. Um, he was he's deaf as well, so he'd been deaf since he was thirteen. So, communicating with somebody with dementia who's also deaf is really difficult. But they give us probably the the best five months we had out of his last three years of life, I'd say. Um, and then I was in a well-known nightclub called Chasers, absolutely <laughs> steamboated one night. Um, it had been on my mind for a little while. That I want to do something for him. And I want to do something around Rovers as well. And who do I see on the dance floor? The legend that is Steve Elliott. So <laughs> throwing shapes. Yeah, throwing shapes. Yeah. So I've gone. I've sort of seen him up there a few times anyway because he's quite local to there. And Steve, I'm going to do this football match. It's going to be amazing. I got going to get you in. And he gave me his number. And then I, I think I woke up still pissed the next day. Text him, and we went from there really. And then I was ringing around every football club going. I only had one come back to me, which was Mangotsfield. Um, other ones just didn't didn't pick up the phone. Didn't yeah. want to know. 
so we done the first year where we had, I think it was 14 ex-pros who turned up on the day. Race six and a half grand for, for dearest. Fantastic. Yeah. Second year, we lost my granddad's brother, Paul, which is my great uncle. To a, he had a long battle of cancer. Eventually lost him. So we, you know, we done it again and we done it for the St. Peter's Hospice. We had 17 ex-pros turn up last year. Some overseas as well. Obviously the, the Latvian flew in. Sergio Omel flew in and we had a, a bit of a better quality, well, better, well-known player, I'd say, last year. Because every player that plays has been good. But some more household names. We raised £11,108.83. And we're back again this year for the British Heart Foundation because we lost another one of my granddad's brothers. So he had a stroke. And I've got another family member who's had some heart issues. So we, um, yeah, we're back again September the 1st and we're going to try and raise fifteen grand this year. And uh, bigger and better than ever, I, I assume, with the the quality yeah. of players you've got coming in is is, is bigger than ever. I mean, yeah. why, don't you t- why don't you just tell us about some of those names you've, you've uh, managed to sign on the dotted line? 23 ex-pros this year. Uh, we've got Steve Phillips, Lee Mansell, Richard Walker, um, some bloke who played in the World Cup called Ricky Lambert. Oh, yeah. may <laughs> yeah. have heard of him. Yeah, yeah may have heard of him. Yeah, Stevie Elliott again, Danny Coles, Aaron Lescott, Jamie Curitan, um, like an absolutely phenomenal squad. To be honest, and it is just amazing, isn't it? Let's be honest. We sold, as it stands now. I think I've just had a text asking me for the last two advance tickets that I've got. So we've now sold. I ordered five hundred tickets, thinking I'll order more than I need because I'll never get rid of them all. And we've just under a month to go. We sold five hundred tickets. So it's all pay on the day now. All pay on the day. So how can fans get involved? Is it all just pay on the day now? And it is now, yeah. Because by the time I order more tickets and they get here, yeah, is factoring in the bank holiday as well. Is it's going to be an impossible task for me to get them posted out. Okay, so it's the 1st of September at Mangosfield Football Club. Um, pay on the day, how much is it on the gate? Five quid. Under fives are free. Five quid for everyone else, adults, kids. And is there anything else going on at the ground other than the match? Yeah, yeah. So we've got a, we've got a hog roast, a barbecue. Uh, Banksy Bloody Castle. another hog roast. Uh, it's, it's like one of the best well. things in the world. Um, Sam, Sam McCarthy, I've got to give him a big shout out. He, he donates all of the profit to the charity. So he does it for free Fair pretty enough. much. Um, and he makes this amazing Thatcher's Hayes barbecue sauce. Oh, that's sound good. Oh, it's absolutely unreal. Absolutely unreal. I haven't had my tea yet, so this is making me yeah. actually dream. Um, I think Ollie Clark's coming along as well. Lungsy's coming along. Um, James Clark's coming along. So Mets would 100% try and... Where you, you're away, aren't you, Mets? Oh, I'm in a stag too. Oh, oh yeah. That's it. Cancel that. Yeah. That's it. Sorry, lads. Can't. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, no, Vaughan James is there as well. Uh, Boris is there. Jeff Twentyman's there as well. We have Banksy Castle, Waven and Somerset Police. We've got Disco in the bar after. There's a raffle and auction. So everyone keeps on saying to me there's going to be 1,500 people there minimum, which I just find absolutely insane. So I don't know what to expect, to be honest with you. Either way, it's all for a great cause, Ash. Yeah. And um, regardless if it's bigger or smaller than last year, or however well you do, it's going to be a lot of money raised to a fantastic cause. So fair play to you. And, um, yeah, and the fans team love it as well because obviously they're... You know, it's an ex-players team against a fans team. Yes, absolutely. And, and they're absolutely bang up for it. I bet they are. I think some. I hope no one's going to go in two-footed on Ricky Lambert and no, uh, do permanent damage. I honestly don't think I could play football against him. I think I'd get to be within about three <laughs> yards of him and I'd just stop and stare. <laughs> that would be it. That would be it for me. Well, our um, friend of the pod, Rovers Ram, is going to be man-marking. Is, the uh, Ram is playing. You've sponsored him as well, haven't you? We have. Gascast yeah. um, have independently sponsored Ram in this match. Yeah. Can you please get a picture of him getting absolutely turned inside out by anyone I've got to give him a shout out because until his legs went after about seven minutes last year <laughs> I'm joking now for the first 20 minutes Ram played really well 
and he, he had Barry Hell, Sergio Omo and Ross Weir up against him and they were all good players and Ram played really well and then his legs went after about 20 minutes and that was it it was have you seen the photo where somebody yeah, takes yeah. him out I think that was it for Ram that was <laughs> just kept me off fair play well best of luck to you Ash um, anyone who wants to uh, get any more information on that you can follow Ash on Twitter or yeah. the Martin Memo- Martin Belston Memorial Twitter page yeah um, for all information there and Facebook as well and Facebook as well yeah if, you, if you'd like some more information I'm sure you'll be able to find it there we'll give it a retweet after this podcast goes live just so you can get a little bit more information about that um, let's move on to the player spotlight um, it's sort of a two player player spotlight this week because initially it was going to be Tony Craig but it's sort of two birds one stone because we're going to go for Tony Craig and Alfie Kilgore together because it's sort of the same topic um with Tony Craig getting older, potentially the last year in his contract, I don't know. At the very least, I would expect him to be moved on next summer. Um, is this the perfect season to blood Alfie Kilgore, Tom? Yeah, I agree. Um, he played last night against Cheltenham and he looked mint. He looked really commanding, really good. Um, I think Tony Craig has got a lot of uh, wisdom to pass on. Like A lot of the players that he's marking will magically fall over when an attacker gets the ball or it'll just be a horrible git to everyone. It's brilliant. So I'm hoping he's passing all that onto Alfie. I think Alfie can be like a league... Well, he's, I'd say he's a league one centre-back now, like maybe not an amazing one, but I think he can grow into being a top league one, maybe even championship centre-back in the future, kind of along the way that Lox has done. Um, good in the air, good on it, like composed, good with his feet... I, can't really pick a lot wrong with him he's not amazingly quick but he's not slow he's just really bloody good yeah it's it's difficult to judge I mean it's only been a few a a handful of starts for him Um, and we all thought at the start that Tom Broadbent was a bit of a diamond in the rough until we sort of saw him against better quality tricky players who sort of put him on his bum a little bit in the penalty area so I think we definitely need to still see that from Alfie that he is strong stands up to his man and doesn't doesn't uh, have too many errors or cause too many goals, but he definitely has got off to a good start in a Rover shirt. Um, actually, Helps that he's gas as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> does help, yeah. He's massive, massive gas. Um, which is which the fans are right behind him already. Um, Ash, he's got all the physicals to be a top centre-back at, at the highest level, um, quite frankly. Do you think he's going to have the ability to make it? Yeah, I think so. And I think the best thing we've done for him is send him off to Maidenhead for six months. And he and he really shone there, didn't he? And, he's, and that's what I said about Luca Tomlinson earlier on. The pathway to men's football for us is we seem to get them to a level, send them out for six months to play men's football, to to toughen them up and make them learn some harsh lessons because they will make mistakes because they're young and then bring them back and, and get them in and I think he's got a very good um, senior pro with Tony Craig around him and if you listen to people around the club I think some people at the club rate him higher than they rated Tom Lockyer at his age and obviously I know Lockyer splits the, splits opinion but he's gone on to have a good career for us and he's now played in the championship and Charlton fans seem to say that he's had a good start and I think Alfie can really step up this season. I think this is Tony Craig's last season, isn't it? It's, it's got to be. I'm not sure. Yeah, you would think it would be. That's why I sort of brought I, that up, that it's the perfect year to sort of yeah. phase out Craig and phase in Kilgore. Yeah, I think he's a future captain of the club, isn't he? I would hope so. I mean, he's he's ideal, isn't he? I mean, I, it's, it's a bit early to judge because we've only seen him start a few games, but he would be the ideal the ideal captain, wouldn't he? Rovers through and through, come through the ranks, centre-back, big, strong, vocal. Um, I, don't, I don't know about vocal. Well, he'll really grow that into much. that. He, he may he's be. Only, he's yeah. only, how old you, is he, 20, 21? Yeah, you know me. I like a centre-back that absolutely bollocks everyone, much like 
Tony Craig are like a captain. Tom like Davis that, gives so. it a bit of that as well, doesn't Tom he? Tom Davis, he's very loud. He's pulls, like a little, pulls a lot of Phil Jones faces, though, doesn't he? He's a bit like. So back onto Tony Craig. Do you think, uh, Mets, do you think he's overlooked or maybe underrated? Do you think people don't quite appreciate what he brings to the side? And do you think we'll miss him when he goes? I think we will miss him when he goes. I think, yeah, I think he is underrated. I think um, when you look at him, you think. Not a very big, strong, commanding centre-back, but actually he is. He brings bigger players down to his level and beats them there. Plus, he is really good at organising, really good at bollocking people. I've I've got a massive amount of time for him. When he first came in, I was like, he's another short centre-back. But actually, he kind of makes up for his lack of height in just like naked aggression. which I've Absolutely got on, nails, isn't it? Yeah, it I've got a lot of time for. So yeah. yeah, I do think he is slightly underrated. Yeah, do you think maybe pace can be an issue this season for us, Ash? In terms yeah. of how quick our centre backs are now, we've lost a lot. Possibly, yeah. As I said to you, I was in in the hospitality on Saturday, and Craig came out to meet a header or, or make an interception. I can't remember which one it was, and he was as soon as he was coming out for it, he was absolutely screaming for somebody to get behind him. So he he knows his own limitations. That if he gets turned by by a player, that he's got no chance to get him back. And actually, um, last night at Cheltenham, they they had the striker on who was quick, and he gave like. Davis and um, Kilgore a bit of trouble but then for whatever reason they brought him off at half time and then we were really comfortable so I do think pace is something that we will struggle against definitely but then the full backs are reasonably quick so it might all kind of work it does feel like the back five are still a bit of a work in progress so you kind of can't judge it too harshly at this point of the season well I can't anyway I think our our defence gets a lot of protection as well doesn't it with with how Coglin set us up last season and now we've already discussed how we set up against Wickham that they've they've tend to have some defensive midfielders sitting really deep in front of them. Um so if we start playing a bit more expansive football, I'll be interested to see how, how they cope with them when they don't necessarily have that extra level of help just sitting yeah. five, ten yards in front of them. See I don't yeah. feel like I wouldn't feel um, worried at all if Alfie had the ball at the back and he was being closed down because he has got the composure and he can actually pick a pass, whereas Tony, you know what you're going to get like, going to get with him. He's going to lump it, but that's absolutely but he fine. Tony Craig organises the defence really well, doesn't yeah. he? And I can imagine that he's absolutely. I can imagine he's a manager's dream to have in the dressing room and on the training pitch because yeah. I can't imagine that he's one who's going to go against what the manager says. And I imagine that he he toes the line pretty well. Yeah, yeah, he's proper old school footballer, isn't he? And I, and I would I was almost worried last night how we would get on without Craig in that 11 and, and Davies and Kilgore, but they seem to cope very well. I mean, the clean sheet speaks for itself, especially with Josh Hare in that back four as well, who we're not quite... I rate Josh Hare. I rate him as well. I'm not saying he's bad. you I'm and saying, Harley that don't. No, I, don't, I do rate him. I do rate him. 100% rate him. I, I like what I've seen, but I just mean he's he's 24. We, he's played the highest level he's really played. I mean, Gillingham, he was sort of at as a youth player, but the highest level he's played lately is non-league. So I think he's more of a question mark is what I'm getting at. So I was concerned last night with that back four, especially with Kilgore and Hare, who who are question marks, how they'll do. But I think Josh Hare has had a really good start to the season um, and he's done himself no harm at all in already challenging Mark Little um, for that starting right-back spot. Um, I mean, he got man of the match against Wickham um, yeah. and, he, and he's a fantastic cross of the ball. Got a great cross on him, I was going to say. Fantastic cross on him. He's definitely one who I'll be watching with keen interest and... Um, yeah, the back four is looking really good, I think. And there's a lot of options there as well. And I think that's probably the strongest uh, part of the pitch for us at the minute. Um, yeah, that about wraps it up for this week, Gasheads. Thanks for, for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, 
be sure to give it a retweet on Twitter or a share on Facebook. It really helps us out. Um, we'll catch you next time. Uh, Ash, thanks for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. Again, I hope all of you uh, go down to Mangotsfield on September the 1st and uh, support support this fantastic cause and uh, see some legends back in action in the blue and white quarters. Um, until next time, we'll catch you, we'll catch you then. Uh, until then, up the gas. Up the gas. Up the gas.